Good evening. Welcome to Bedtime Stories with Thompson. We're reading The Oregon Trail by Francis Parkman. And we had to stop before we finished chapter 11, so we're going to wrap that up. The Buffalo Hunt, and then on to chapter 12. He had just crawled up on Henry Chatelon. I did as he said, and still the buffalo showed no sign of fear. They remained gathered about their dead companions. Henry had already killed as many cows as he wanted for our use, and I, kneeling behind one of the carcasses, shot five bulls before the rest thought it necessary to scatter. After four days of work, we were ready to leave. We had 800 pounds of dried meat, the fattest and choicest parts of eight or nine cows. Only a small quantity had been taken from each cow, and the rest was left to the wolves. By this time, the number of buffalo carcasses that lay about the nearby prairie decaying under the hot sun attracted wolves from every direction. There were large, red-eyed, gray and white wolves and small prairie wolves not much bigger than a spaniel. The wolves would howl and fight in a crowd around a single carcass, and above them the air was always full of turkey buzzards or black vultures waiting to sweep, swoop down on the wolves' leavings. As we resumed our journey eastward, multitudes of wolves were roaming over the neighboring prairie, and vultures in great clouds were soaring overhead. They would feast undisturbed. End of chapter 11. And this is chapter 12. Along the Arkansas River. As we proceeded along the Arkansas River, we began to meet companies of Missouri soldiers. They were volunteers following General Kearney's army on its march against Santa Fe and the Mexican Territory. The soldiers were rough, but extremely good-looking men. They wore their knee boots, belts, and military trappings over ordinary civilian clothes and were armed with swords, holster pistols, and the excellent breech-loading Springfield rifles. "'How are you?' one fellow would greet us. "'Where are you going?' asked another. "'Whar do you live when you're no when you're to home?' said a third. "'I reckon you're traitors,' guessed a fourth. "'More buffalo up ahead?' another inquired. "'Reckon our horses can make it to Santa Fe?' still another asked. Since each group of newcomers repeated the same questions, the bother soon grew unbearable. Our replies became shorter and crisper, and finally the soldiers went struggling away as they had come. Then, to our great relief, we were left alone again. The buffalo were abundant, and we had as much hunting as we desired, both on horseback and on foot. But we did so with great care, for we were now in Pawnee country, and it would not do to be caught with an empty bullet pouch or powder horn. Indeed, we now took every possible precaution. We mounted guard at night... Each man standing in his turn. No one ever slept without drawing his rifle close to his side or folding it with him in his blanket. One morning, our watchfulness was sharpened by finding traces of a large Indian camp. Henry studied the scene and concluded, Comanche, a week old. We sighed with relief that they were not any closer, but the next evening we found the ashes of a recent fire. That gave us some uneasiness. Our uneasiness increased still further when we reached the Caches, a place well known for its danger. It had a most threatening appearance. Sandhills were everywhere, broken by ravines and deep gullies. We found the grave of the Massachusetts man killed here some weeks before, probably by Pawnees, as the trader had told us. We did not delay. Keep a sharp lookout, called Henry, and we spurred our horses, hurrying on as best as we could. On the 14th of September, we saw a very large caravan of supplies bound for Santa Fe. The plain was covered with the long lines of white-topped wagons, black carriages in which the traders travel and sleep, large herds of horses and mules and men on horseback and on foot. When they stopped near us, our party, with its tiny cart and handful of men, made a rather unimpressive appearance by the side of their wide and bustling camp. One of the traders warned us, 
Better not follow the main trail along the river, lest you want to have your throats cut. So here, where the river made a bend, we took a smaller trail that led directly across the prairie for 60 or 70 miles. The following night, while I was suffering from the pain and weakness of the same illness that had attacked me in the mountains, a rainstorm came up. The moisture, which filled the tent and trickled from everything in it, did not add to my comfort. About two hours after midnight, Quincy, who had been standing guard with one of the California men amid the rain and pitch-black darkness, came silently in. Touching Henry, he called to him in a low, quick voice. Henry, Henry, I think you ought to come out. What is it, I asked, jumping up. Indians, I believe, whispered Quincy. But lie still. I'll call you if there's a fight. He and Henry went out together. I took the cover off my rifle, preparing it for action, and then, being in much pain, lay down again. In about five minutes, Quincy returned. It's all right, he said, as he lay down to sleep. Henry was now standing guard in his place. In the morning, Quincy told me the details of the alarm. One of the California men thought he spotted some dark shapes down in the hollow among the horses, like men creeping on all fours. We got down flat on our faces and crawled to the edge of the bank overlooking the hollow. It didn't take long for us to be convinced those dark shapes were Indians. So I got Henry and the three of us lay there watching. Well, you know Henry's eye is one of the best on the prairie, so it didn't take long for him to make out what those shapes were. Francis, they were nothing but wolves. Strange, I wondered aloud, that the horses didn't make a sound with those wolves creeping among them like that. Henry told me that all the wolves seemed to want was to gnaw on the rawhide trail ropes the horses were tied with, explained Quincy. Aha! I cried with the pleasure of a detective solving a mystery. So that explains why, several times on this journey, I found my horse's trail rope bitten in two. Wolves! The next day we came to a stream again, and from that time to the journey's end, we met long trains of government wagons almost every day. They were crawling at a snail's pace toward Santa Fe, laden with supplies for the troops. At Cow Creek, we found the welcome novelty of ripe grapes and plums, which grew there in abundance. And at the Little Arkansas River, not much farther on, we saw our last buffalo, a miserable old bull, roaming over the prairie, sad and alone. You better not kill it because... End of chapter 12. Good night.